Our first story this morning is going to be, uh, we're going to be talking about Peter and talking about uh, the story where probably most of us are familiar with this of uh, how uh, Peter comes to deny Christ, uh, sort of in those final hours of Christ's life. So, uh, just a little background. You may recall uh, the disciples, they uh, go with Jesus, and it's Passover, and they go and they have a meal together, and they're having this meal. In the course of the meal, they're talking about, uh, Jesus is saying, hey, one of you is going to betray me, and everyone's like, no, none of us, we're not going to betray you. And so then we get to interact with Peter. So I'm going to read the story here. I'll have it on the screen. You can follow along. We're going to be reading the version out of John this morning. So starting in John chapter 13, uh, verses uh, starting in verse 36, there's this interaction, this conversation going on between Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus talks about how he's going away. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so we know the story goes on from here. There's kind of this passage, and then the story picks up, right? And they go out from there, and at some point Jesus is arrested because Judas has betrayed him, and Jesus gets taken in, and he's kind of in front of these officials, these religious officials, and they're trying to figure out what to do with him and how to get him tried because they really want to put him to death. And so then we get to what happens next. We pick up uh, in chapter 18, verse 15. So Jesus goes to the court here, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing, warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And so here we see Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter does. He denies him three times. And so most of us, I, I wager maybe all of us in this room are familiar with this story. And we go, wow, we've heard this story before. And so we go, okay, why is this story worth examining? Why do we have this? And there's paintings like this one. And we, we know this is part of sort of uh, culture at some point, or at least of the Christian culture. Well, one reason why this particular story is worth examining is it's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's there in all four. And so we just read John's account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record very similar accounts, and they're very similar to each other, and they have, they're, they're similar to this. Um, and so just for those of you who are interested in that, you go, well, if we got four accounts of it, why is that important? And shouldn't they all be exactly the same? And actually, the truth is, uh, the fact that there are four versions of this, and each one is slightly different, points to the validity of the Gospels and of the Bible. Because anytime there's a, an event that happens, 
You want to have multiple witnesses of it. And each witness, so say we go outside and we see a traffic accident uh, and different people see it, you're going to get slightly different stories. And each person is going to uh, you know, emphasize different things, different things they saw, different things they experienced, different times. And so we look at these four accounts and we go, wow, each of these four accounts is telling essentially the same story, but there's different emphases on the time, on the characters, on the place. And so scholars have examined this and experts, forensic experts have examined this and they go, wow, this story really happened because we've got, wow, four eyewitnesses each telling the same but slightly different stories about it. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But at this point, so we we got to that point in the story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke basically stop it right there. They don't give us anything else. But they just go, yeah, Peter denied Jesus. And like this picture, he went out and he wept and he was upset. And that's the last we see of him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. Peter denies Christ. He goes away and he's sad. And so we could ask that question, how come Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't give us the outcome of that story? Why don't they tell us what happens? We go, well, I don't know. That's a good question. There's a couple possible reasons for that. The first one would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing to an audience that already knew what happened to Peter. They knew who Peter was. There they are in the church age where you know the, the early church is going on and they're like, oh, we know who Peter is. He's one of the leaders. He's one of the founders of the church. We know who he is. He's very well known to people. And they go, oh, okay, we don't need this story of how he's restored. We see that he's restored. That would be one idea. Another idea is that Luke went on and wrote the book of Acts. And we'll see another passage from Acts here later. But you see in Acts that Peter becomes a central character, the central figure, a driving force behind the establishment of the church and making disciples. And so people might have already seen, oh, okay, here's Peter. We know who he is. Luke is maybe more focused on the outcome instead of on the process here. Now, that being said, the book of John has one more small chapter to this story. And I think that's probably because John was an eyewitness. We just saw there in the passage it said, oh, another disciple went with him. Well, we kind of find out later that other disciple was John. And so John was present with Peter as this was happening. And he was even with him at the end there. And so John knew these intimate details that maybe other people didn't. So let's read that final piece of the story. So it it happens later in the book of John. Jesus goes on to the crucifixion. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. And he has the resurrection. And now they're in Galilee. And he appears to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And so they're together. And they're eating. Right? And they'd finished breakfast, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, Tend my sheep. And Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? So Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this Jesus said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. 
And so that's the story. And we go, oh, I see here Peter gets restored. So there's this sort of final chapter. And it's great that we have this view because then we, in our day and age, can see, okay, I understand. I understand what happened to Peter. I understand this process of how Peter got to where he was in the book of Acts. So if we just take the story, we go, okay, this is a common, you know, familiar story. We hear about this sometimes at Easter and other times we talk about Peter and what's going on. We go, okay, what does this story teach us? What can I learn? How can I look at this story and say, man, what, what is there for me in this? How can I apply it and how can I make it change my life? And so as I was preparing for this, I came up with seven things. And there's probably a bunch more and you're like, oh my gosh, seven things. <laughs> how can I write down seven things? I think you can. And frankly, some of them may resonate with you and some of them don't. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one, but we'll just go through them one by one. So the first thing was the story teacher. Peter's denial teaches us that God forgives. Duh. (laughs) That's God's nature. He forgives. Well, what does it mean to forgive? Forgiveness means canceling a debt. It means canceling a debt. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that. We talked about the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, the servant who's got the big debt, and he goes to his master, and he's like, ah, you're going to throw me in prison and sell my family off to pay for the debt. Please give me more time. And the master shows mercy. And the master says, I cancel your debt. You don't even need more time. I'm just going to pay it. That's forgiveness. It's the canceling of the debt. And so in this story, Jesus takes Peter's debt, his debt of denying him, and he cancels it. He cancels it. He doesn't, you know, Peter doesn't commit the sin of, oh, I denied God. And and interestingly, if we go back to Luke, we see Jesus is very clear, like, hey, denying me? Man, that is a sin. That is a problem, right? So Peter commits the sin But Peter does not owe a life of service to God because of this sin. He doesn't owe it to God to make it up. Instead, we see Peter gives his life and service to God out of love. Because God has forgiven him. Because Jesus has canceled his debt. So, likewise for you, you have sinned and you have denied God. I can say that because I know I have too. Every single one of us has. But God has offered to cancel your debt. And that's good news. That's good news for us. Second thing is that God restores. God restores. This one is also probably obvious, but Jesus restores Peter with two words. Two words. He says, follow me. Follow me. This is the same thing, interestingly. It's the exact same thing way back at the beginning. In John chapter 1, Jesus calls the first disciples. And what does he say to them? Follow me. He says, follow me at the beginning. And so here he is at the end of the book and he says, Peter, follow me. And so here's Peter. Peter's totally blown it. He was there at the beginning. He was one of the first disciples and Jesus said, follow me. And Peter goes, all right, I'll follow you. And so he's following him. And he goes along and we go all through the story and Peter is following Jesus. And then at the end, he's like, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And Jesus goes, no, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes and he denies Jesus. He fails. He fails at the mission of following Jesus. He denies him. So, at some point, a lot of us would say, man, if somebody did that to you, how would you feel? Say, if I can't take you at your word, you said you'd do this thing and you didn't do this thing, I can't take you at your word, what good are you to me? What good are you to me? Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus goes back to the first thing he said. And he restores Peter by reiterating that call, follow me. And so the same thing God does to us. 
we blow it. We deny him. We sin. And God reiterates the call. His answer to our sin is, follow me. God wants us to follow him. Third thing I think we can learn about this passage is that God makes strengths from weaknesses. And we are talking about God being strong again. But God in us makes strength out of our weaknesses. And we have to kind of look ahead in the story here. There's Peter, and he's in this courtyard. He's kind of trying to follow Jesus at a distance, and he's trying to kind of keep his word, but he can't really do it. And so he's faced with these people like they're servants. They have no power. They got nothing. And they're like, don't you know Jesus? And he's like, I don't know him. Right? These people can do nothing to him, and Peter can't even stand up for his faith and stand up for Jesus and follow him in that scenario. But then we go on into Acts. And you get into Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter. And Peter stands up in front of a whole lot of people who can do a whole lot of harm to him. And he says this, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a little bit different than, I don't know him. You see that change? And we see in this passage in Acts 2 that thousands, thousands came to know Jesus because of these words. This doesn't sound like the same guy. It's an incredible turnaround. Here was this weakness, and God has made strength out of it. In front of these leaders, in front of the authorities, in front of thousands, and all these people who could really kill or imprison or make life really difficult for Peter and all of his friends, he makes this impassioned plea and he owns the name of Jesus personally, doesn't he? In the same way, God has the ability to take our own sin, our own weaknesses, and turn it around. Turn it around to be used as strength on his behalf. I hope that's encouraging to you. So I know for me, I go, wow, i got a lot of weaknesses. Wow, God can take my weaknesses and turn them into strengths on his behalf. Fourth thing I think we can learn here is that God desires relationship with us. God desires relationship with us. Now, how many of you have ever read Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Sorry, a couple of people have. Have you seen that? Yeah, Gretchen loves it. Yeah, I know a lot of people love it. Right? I've seen the movies, right? And they're good. But there's a great quote. Some of you know there's a, a guy, one of the main characters, Mr. Darcy. Right? And Mr. Darcy says this, My good opinion, once lost, is lost forever. Now, of course, Jane Austen said that. That's not Jane Austen. That's smoldering handsome. What's his name? Right, Mr. Darcy, right? He says of the character in the book, he says it. My good opinion, once lost, is lost forever. Now, this resonates with us. Why? Because most of us operate in our lives this way. Man, you blew it. My good opinion of you is lost, and it's lost forever. There's no restoration for you, or my relationship with you is broken. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have boundaries. We need to have boundaries in relationships. Forgiveness does not mean no boundaries. 
when it comes to our human relationships. And there's situations, there are definitely situations in life, right, where reputation is important, a good opinion is important, right? If you're going to hire a plumber, he needs to have a good reputation, right? There are those situations in life. But I think it's important to notice that God does not treat Peter this way. He didn't say, my good opinion once lost is lost forever, Peter. You denied me. You denied me. He wants relationship with us. God wants relationship, and so he doesn't have this. This is the kind of thing that breaks relationship. So this is not God's opinion. God's desire for relationship. God's desire for relationship fuels his mercy for us. It leads God to forgive us by sending Christ to die in our place. So we can learn that God desires relationship with us. The fifth thing is that God wants us to focus on the future, not on our past. We read this passage already from John. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He goes on and then at the end he says, follow me, follow me. Now, I'll be the first to admit that our pasts are filled with a lot of sorrow, aren't they? A lot of junk and a lot of hardship, a lot of brokenness, a lot of wounds, a lot of sin, a lot of all kinds of yucky stuff. And I believe that for so much of that, there is a process that we each have to go through. There's a path we have to walk through so we can work through all of that stuff. And sometimes the best way to a bright future is to really deal with all of that stuff. And so sometimes we have to deal with that. But when it comes to our standing before God, when it comes to the way that God sees us, God is focused on our future, not on our past. God is focused on our future, not on our past. He's interested in what lies ahead. Look at how he addresses Peter's sin right here in this passage. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? This is a present tense verb. How do you feel now? Not, did you love me then? Do you love me now? Do you love me? He's looking to the future. Jesus didn't say, are you sorry for what you've done? He said, do you love me? He's looking forward. He's looking to the future. And he gives two commands to Peter. He says what? Feed my sheep and follow me. Feed my sheep and follow me. Again, these are from now on commands. Do this from now on. Do this from now on. One of those he reiterates from before. Jesus doesn't beat Peter up with his failure. He doesn't say, you denied me, so I'm going to smack you over the head. And so we too need to recognize that God is helping us into the future. He's not beating us over the head with our past. I think that's an important thing to learn here. The sixth thing is that God wants you to minister to others. God wants you to minister to others. Now Jesus said, feed my sheep. And you go, why do you have a picture of cows on the screen? Those are not sheep. Those are not sheeps. Well, uh, part of our trip, we were just in Oklahoma. Some of you remember Jeff and Grace. Jeff was a pastor here for a while. We stayed at their house, and they have about 20-some head of cattle. I think that's the right terminology. I never lived on a farm. I don't really know. And they kind of look like these. And those cows just sort of wander around, and they're kind of dumb, and they need lots of care, and they need lots of help. 
Now, I don't think Jesus was really talking about farm animals. He didn't say, well, go feed the livestock. (laughs) I think that's what he's really talking about. So he's not really talking about the cows. He's not really talking about the sheep. He's talking about people. He's saying, help other people. Help people with their hurts. Help people with their sins. Help people with their broken things. Now, you might hear this and say, what? Minister to others? Ministers, ministry is for ministers. It's for the pastors. Isn't that your job, Greg? You're the one who's supposed to do that. You're sort of that professional class of people. And I go, no, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is we go back to the story and I go, Peter was just a common guy. He was an ordinary guy. He was a fisherman. Why would he, what would be special about him feeding the sheep and helping others? He wasn't specially trained. He wasn't specially qualified. In fact, he was a sinner. And when we think of it that way, we should each see ourselves standing in Peter's shoes. And Jesus saying, I want you, and you, and you, and you, and you, every single one of us, I want you to feed my sheep. Because if he'll put that call on Peter, he's going to put that on us. Follow me, he says. Follow me. If that's not a call to you, then what's the point of this story? There's no point to this story. It has no application to us. It's just a story of some guy who Jesus asked him to minister, to be a professional minister. Thought what it is. Every single one of us is called to minister, to feed the sheep, to follow Jesus. So if you answered that call, God has called you to feed his sheep. God has called you and me, every one of us, to follow him. And so now here, the final one, number seven. This is maybe the most important application because I think it kind of ties it all together. And it's that our sin doesn't nullify God's promises. Our sin doesn't nullify God's promises. Well, what were some of the promises God made to Peter? Here's one on the screen from Luke chapter 5. This whole incident there at the Galilee, at the sea, and Peter, you know, is the fisherman, and they have this big catch of fish, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you made this big catch of fish, what do we do? And Jesus said to Peter, he said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In other words, you will be feeding sheep. You will do this. He made a promise to Peter right there that he would be doing this. Another example in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. They're going along and Jesus says, you know, who, who do the people say that I am? You know, all these people are coming around. Who do they say? You guys tell me, who do they say I am? And he's like, oh, well, some say a prophet, some say this. And he goes, ah, starting in verse 15. Who do you say that I am? Talking to the disciples. And Peter old guy speaks up and he goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, which by the way means stone. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't think that means like, oh, Peter's the guy and we all look back to him as the important guy. Now, the church was getting, going to get built upon Peter, but he's really talking about this confession of Christ, of who Christ is. And so, in all of this, Jesus makes a promise to Peter and says, Hey, you're important, and what you've said and what you believe, Peter, is important, and I'm going to build my church upon all of that. And so, he's made these promises. And I think when we look back, that first passage there was in Luke, and the second was in Matthew. And I think Luke, we look at Luke, 
And he writes this. I think his audience knew, yeah, that Peter guy, he's catching men. He's not catching fish anymore. He's catching men. So that resonated with them. And Matthew's audience knew that, hey, Peter is this guy. He's a central figure in our church that's growing and expanding and filling out in the Roman Empire. But when we take those and we put those together with John's account, we see Peter really sins in an epic way. Here it was, Jesus made these promises to him and Peter just kind of denies those. He's like, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. He's weak. He weakly breaks his word and he does it in such a way, again, it would ruin most any human relationship. It would ruin those relationships. But Jesus doesn't turn around and say, well, I made these promises to you. You nullify those with your sin, Peter. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't nullify it. He doesn't say, well, Peter, I forgive you. But you lose out. I'm sorry. You lost out on the plan I had for you. That catching, catching man and the, building the church on you. Ah, you missed out. You denied me. So I'm sorry. I forgive you, but too bad. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, okay, I made those promises and you sinned and I forgive you, but maybe if you just work really hard and do a lot of penance and, and say a bunch of prayers and, and mop a lot of floors at the local soup kitchen or something like that, then, then we'll, we'll get back to those promises. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me. Feed my sheep. Jesus is simply asking, hey, Peter, I know you sinned. Is it still your heart to follow me? Is it still your heart to follow me? Peter goes, yeah, Lord, you know it is. And he goes, all right, well, let's keep going. Feed my sheep. And so those are the seven things here. God shows us all of these things. I got all seven of them right there. God shows us all of these things in this story. And so I'd ask you today, do you believe these things? Have you accepted these things? How are you doing in living these things out? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to believe it. It's hard to accept it. And I'm hoping at least one of these things has resonated with you. I know several of them really resonate with me and my heart. And so a good question we can ask is, okay, given all these things, what should I do now? What should I do now? I feel like, oh gosh, I've really denied God and some things. I've got some sin here in my life and it just seems like, ah, there's just some hard stuff going on. Well, one good answer is to confess to God this verse in 1 John 1, 9. Interesting, it's John, the same guy. He says, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to cleanse us, to, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today, as you're sitting here today, I encourage you, look back on today, or this weekend, or this week, or this month, or this year, and think about, man, I, I think I've really denied God in some ways. I've really sinned against God. I've broken some commandments. I've really broken my relationship with Him in some way, from my perspective. You go, wow, yeah, I am like Peter. I've denied Christ. I've denied Christ. But isn't this verse good news? We're forgiven. We can be cleansed. We can be restored. And we can do that how? By way of confession. Now, I don't mean we're going to set up a booth here and you're going to come up and tell me all the things you did. I don't know one of that. 
But it says we confess our sins to who? To God. If we confess them to God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And so we want to take some time this morning, just a few minutes here, in the quiet before I close, and everybody to just right where you're at, just personally, before you and God, just close your eyes and bow your heads and say, all right, we're going to have a time of confession. And a time of confession is just simply acknowledging your sin before God, saying, God, I blew it. But God, I love you. Right? We don't need to ask for forgiveness. Jesus already went to the cross and has offered us all the forgiveness that we need. What we need to do is just say, oh, I acknowledge, I acknowledge that you've forgiven me. I accept this forgiveness that you've already given me, God, through Jesus Christ. So let's just take a few moments here, and I'm just going to sit down here, and just for a couple minutes, just right where you're at, we could just pray, and I encourage you, and in the quietness of your heart, just between you and God, to just confess whatever sin you might feel is, maybe there's some sin, maybe there's a lot of things, maybe a couple minutes isn't enough time, and that's okay. You're forgiven, but take that and go, wow, when I receive that forgiveness, God, you're going to cleanse me. You're going to help me along the way here. So let's just take a minute and do that. And God, I think that you ask us today, just like you asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And yet, God, we, we declare to you today, we do love you. God, you know that we love you. And so, God, across the pages of history in the Bible, in this story, this one little chapter of this one big story, we hear you calling to us, saying, follow me and feed my sheep. Thank you, God, that as we confess our sins, thank you that you are faithful and you exercise justice and you forgive us and you cleanse us and we can walk back into restoration. We can feed your sheep. We can draw closer to you. Thank you, God, that you are more focused on our future than on our past. Help us to walk into that today and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.